Happy Thursday to you and welcome in to Sports Talk. Plenty to discuss on this day. Very newsy day. Plus, we are full of guests. We go two hours here until 6 o'clock. I am Scott Beatty and Lauren Tate joins me here in the first hour. Evan Kahn is in for hour number two. Coming up, we discuss the Purdue football team with our friend Mike Carmen from the Lafayette Journal Courier. Uh, across the border, we've been doing a little Big Ten tour of Illini football opponents. Also, Tyra Perry, Illinois softball coach. I'm check in on some things with her as some of the happenings has been going on over the summer and coming up in a few weeks in relation to Illinois' celebration of Title IX. And a little bit about softball. Scott Ritchie from the News Gazette talks Illinois football and more in the next hour, and we'll sprinkle in some other good stuff. But we start with the big news of the day and somewhat uh, anticipated, just the timing was not precisely known, but a big time media rights deal. They call it groundbreaking for the Big Ten, Lauren Tate. Well, it's from basically noon until nightfall. You know, it's all day long. Three big openings and 11 o'clock our time. Again at two thirty, and then at seven. A That's pretty good, isn't it? A mix of networks have the media rights to Big Ten football and beyond, and it involves, of course, Fox. They will have the eleven a.m. kickoff for the Big Ten. This all starts in twenty twenty three. Next year, then CBS will have the two thirty a two thirty game, and NBC will feature. The Big Ten in right prime after, time. Right after the Notre Dame game. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. The big, maybe there will be a day when that is a Big Ten game. Then you'll have games on Peacock. Then you're going to have games on the Big Ten network. Then you've got Fox Force One. I mean, the Big Ten is going to be all over the place. Every game. It is a huge deal. The Big Ten itself did not uh, put out the valuation of it. The first reports came out at seven million, seven billion with a B, as mm-hmm. in Bravo, as in bank, for the deal. But then it was later reported that it's worth eight billion dollars. Yeah, and spread out over seven years. And the, and the money for the Big Ten school will escalate from the first year. It won't be near as much as it will as they go forward, because, for instance, uh, next year CBS is only going to do seven games. And then after that, they're going to do 15 games beginning in 2024. And uh, NBC uh, will be we doing about 15 or 16 games every year. At and and most of those, I I don't I, not all, but most of those are going to be at at nightfall. Is, evening games. Is my math correct? Eight billion. I think it's a little bit more than eight billion. But I divided eight billion over seven years. That's 1.14 billion per year. On average, to uh-huh. Big Ten, yeah, and I get that it's going to expand, but at least in the first two years, I divided that by. You can't do that. You okay. can't divide the first two years because the the, the amount uh, the first year is going to be a lot less than the amount the oh, second I year. See and then then you got another complicated problem a couple of years later when USC and UCLA come in at full so, shares. Yeah, at full shares. So uh, the main thing is that they they got about three hundred and fifty million dollars from uh, three hundred and fifty billion dollars. Am I doing this right? $350 million from CBS. All right. 
I'm sorry. I'm getting my millions and my billions mixed up. But in any case, they have got a contract of a, a, a total of $8 billion per year. Mm-hmm. And the only difference is that the money to the Big Ten escalates from the first year. It's much more the second year. And as because, as I stated, CBS is only doing seven games that first year. So it, it isn't the same every year. Mm-hmm. Brett McMurphy from Action Network also says the contract includes an escalator cause, meaning the deal could approach nearly $10 billion, $10 billion if the Big Ten's membership increases. Even after adding USC and UCLA, the Big Ten is, quote, not done, end quote, expanding, sources told Action Network. And here's the thing everybody forgets. The basketball tournament, the money that Big Ten schools receive from that is beyond this. The money from the football playoff is also extra. So when you say that, when we say that they're going to get, let's say, uh, Illinois is going to get $72 million next year, I mean the following year, 72 maybe that's a guess, but it could be in that neighborhood. But they're also going to get a lot more money depending on if we get a team in the playoff, football playoff, and then later on, within the next three to four years, there's going to be an expanded football playoff in which Illinois will get more money. The window for the previous contract was seven years. Mm-hmm. And the valuation of that, I was told, I think I read was around $2.6 billion. So basically the value has oh, it's tripled. Just, yeah, it's just gone crazy with that night, getting NBC at night, this, that's a that's prime time. Yeah, I mean that's that's big time. I mean, and and of course, uh, here's my question for you: um, it, Who who chooses which games? And won't everybody want Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin? You know, they'll all, they'll want the, the the better teams. Where will Illinois fall in all this? Where will the University of Illinois football team fall? Will they have some primetime games? Or And by the way, there are going to be some Friday night games, too. I believe the way they do this currently is there's sort of a draft mm-hmm. or a, a weighted uh, number of choices that each network gets. Mm-hmm. So maybe, under the current model, ESPN says, we want Week 12's uh, matchup with these two teams. And well, then, okay, Fox, you get the next pick. And then, yeah. you know, or but maybe Fox gets first pick. And But you, there's something, I I think Ohio State-Michigan has always been on ABC or something, you know. Well, <laughs> they they've came down on the tablets the, uh, from Mount Sinai. There's no question that the networks themselves, NBC and CBS in particular, are going to want Ohio State and Michigan as often as they can get them. Oh, sure. And you can't blame them for that. But uh, 11 o'clock, I mean, our time, 11 o'clock is not a bad time for to watch a football game. I mean, that's still good. That's a, still a good hour. It's Saturday. I mean, I think uh, I, there's no bad time there, whether it's, whether it's um, you know, the, the near noon or 2.30 or 7 o'clock at night. They're all good times. Texter says, if I misspoke, I apologize. Eight to ten billion is for the whole contract over the total of the years. So you have to divide that by the number of years. 
It's not per year. So it's it's around $1.14 billion per year right now on mm-hmm. average. But as you said, it actually escalates yeah, in its well, value. Yeah. Well, each year. I just noted that it was going to be a lot more the second year than it is the first year. It's going to be a lot more in 24 than it is in 23. So the media reporting on this, believe it or not, on on its own industry was pretty accurate. We knew. Well, we knew pretty much what was happening, didn't we? We knew there would not be an ESPN, Disney, ABC involvement. Yeah, Nicole Auerbach and others, Scott Dockerman, all those people seemed to know what was going on all the way. They had somebody there. Here's an interesting thing I read, though, today. This is just a little bit away from this. The Big Ten now is providing $200 million in financial support for 9,800 students, 11,000 uh, uh, participant opportunities, and the Big Ten has 28 official sports, 14 for men, 14 for women. Can they sustain that if the players keep working to get paid? <laughs> yeah. I'm curious the uh, thoughts of Tyra Perry as uh, there is a sport in softball that it keeps growing and its popularity keeps getting more and more eyeballs on it and ears on it. Um, what happens when everyone starts getting paid, what's your concern if you are a coach of a sport of that, quote, level? What's your concern if you have to travel to to the West Coast to play a game or the East Coast to play a game? I mean, those are long trips. Yep. And they already are faced with trips to Rutgers and Penn State and that, and now they're looking ahead. We're going to see trips out at West. Also, the Big Ten is taking a page out of the NFL playbook, and they are rotating networks that will air the Big Ten championship. It's not an equal rotation because of the how uh, who's spending what money, but CBS will air it twice. Yeah, I, I NBC think will air it once, and then Fox it, will air it four times. It goes Fox, CBS, Fox, CBS, Fox, NBC. I mean, it's, it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. But similar to what oh, the NFL does in rotating its three networks mm-hmm. and who gets the Super Bowl. And it will also be interesting is down the line, if or even this year, how does ESPN treat a Big Ten team in the playoff? And back in, in a secret place somewhere, 15 or 16 presidents and leaders of universities are meeting. And what are they talking about? Pulling football out of the whole operation of, of NCAA sports. Mm-hmm. Can that happen? I don't think it's a matter of can. I think it will. I think there is a collective will for it. And I, I don't know that uh, the NCAA has enough potency to to uh, to hold on to anything. Well, then, then does any of that money fall back into the minor sports? Is any of the football income, this massive football income you're talking about, that's a lot of money coming in. Mm-hmm. We think Illinois, after Illinois is going to get about $55 million this year, next year it's going to jump up over 70 And then it'll go up beyond that. Does any of that go back to the other sports? Does any of that go back to the ability of Whitman to pay off some of the uh, buildings that he's put up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't There's know. There's probably I a mean, person or two I mean, over there, too, that would if, like a raise. <laughs> if you start paying players, you're not going to have the money to do all those things. Yep. All right, what's going on at Purdue? 
Illinois will face a sleeper pick by some to win the Big Ten West, but not necessarily a favorite. They got the best schedule. They ought to be the favorite. Purdue Boilermakers. We'll talk with our friend Mike Carmen on the beat in West Lafayette in just a moment. Illinois soccer opens the season tonight against Illinois State over at Demersion Park. It's a free admission at 7 p.m. for first touch against the Redbirds. And that will begin the Illinois Athletics season. Football, the other football, American football, so to speak, faces Purdue on November 12th when the Boilermakers come here to town. And after a 9-4 and season and a quarterback that's back, some are wondering if this could be a surprise year for them. Mike Carmen covers the Boilermakers for the Lafayette Journal Courier, and he joins us now on the line. The man with the best shoes in the business. Mike, how are you? Great. I'll just add this, and I'm not I'm no expert on soccer, but Purdue women's soccer opens season tonight against Southern Cal, which is a future Big Ten opponent. So we have our first future Big Ten matchup, I think, uh, tonight in West Lafayette. The the travel is very convenient too with the uh, the private concords they have, right? Yes, that they'll be assembling. <laughs> that that fast-moving train that's going to come from L.A. across the country and stop at Big Ten cities. Is this a fair uh, over assessment of Purdue that they are trying to not be the rest of the Big Ten West in the smash-mouth, win-it-in-the-trenches, grind it out Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois-ish type of way. And uh, to me, Purdue just stands out that they're, they're an aerial attack um, and very skilled on the, on the edges, and that actually makes them unique in the division. They're never going to be a smash-mouth team, smash-mouth program. They never have been. Um, they're, they're, their strengths and throughout their history, and Lauren knows this, is finding the right quarterback and uh, putting them together with a group of receivers and holding up on the offensive line and running the ball when you, when you need to and uh, doing well in situational situations uh, like third and one and fourth and one, but they're, they're a throwing team. They're a throwing program. They'll always be that way. I, I don't, I don't see how that changes. Uh, just there's not, there's not that infrastructure in place like you have at Wisconsin and some other places where it's all about the offensive line. It's all about running the ball. I mean, this is Purdue's mo, and they're gonna they're gonna play to their strength on this. And um, you know, last year it, it's worked, and you know, overall it has worked throughout their history as as much as it can. But I mean, this is who they are, and this is who they need to be. Mike, you've had a lot of great quarterbacks going back to Phipps and Dawson and all of them. Uh, is this the first walk-on, former walk-on, that's ever made it to this level? Uh, I can't answer that with 100% certainty because um, they, they, they've had other walk-ons. I mean, uh, I think Billy Dickin might have been a walk-on with Joe Tiller's first year um, when they, they went to the uh, Alamo Bowl and set the stage for, for his career. They've had other walk-on quarterbacks that have that have played and have done well, uh, maybe not at the level or the 
maybe the level of production that Aiden O'Connell probably right. should do this year. So, well, uh, we made him a star right here at Illinois. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't here, but it was over there. But uh, I think winning that game, uh, you know, he pulled it out, and then I think he was a pretty solid after that, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He went through a stretch of five or six games where he pulled at least seventy percent of the passes, and he was on he was on the mark. He was on the money. Now he had David Bell to, to be on the money with. Uh, that's to me one of the questions. Is is the pickup from Mike? Is the pickup from Iowa Jones is is he uh, does he look like he's going to be a standout receiver for you? Yeah, I think. Number one, I think he's going to be their number one receiver when it's all said and done. I think he has speed, he has uh, some other assets to him, and you know, obviously, he can catch the ball. You know, I think him and Tyrone Tracy, another Iowa transfer, is is somebody that uh, O'Connell will lean heavily on, uh, at least in the early going, uh, to to allow maybe some of the other receivers to to, to settle in. How does the defense look, Mike, for the Boilermakers? Uh, obviously, lose Carl Loftus and some other key players. Well, um, they, they probably they're, they're one standout. I, the one guy I, I think is a star for him is Jalen Grant. He's going to be their nickelback, but he can play outside linebacker. He can play safety. He can play off the edge. He can do a lot of different things. Um, but as far as the defensive line is concerned, they don't have another George Karloftis. They've got a lot of depth on the defensive line. They've got, they'll be able to rotate three teams in there uh, throughout the course of the game, but they don't have that one guy. Uh, the defensive line is going to have to win a lot of one-on-one matchups because there's, there's nobody to double team on Purdue. And that's not disrespect to Purdue's players. It just, you, right now you don't need to double team any of those guys. You just have to block them one-on-one. And if they can win their one-on-one matchups, and they can make some plays in the backfield. The schedule for the Boilermakers is uh, considered favorable. Do you agree? Yeah, if they can win the first game, I think it's very favorable. Uh, if, you know, you look at the first four games. You know, Penn State at home, Indiana State at home, at Syracuse, Florida Atlantic. You know, if you if you can beat Penn State, not get not get in the trap game at Syracuse. You got a chance to hit October undefeated, and then you look at the back half where Iowa's at home, and then you have Illinois, you have Northwestern, you have Indiana teams. In the past, Purdue has matched up well against, and uh, they got a chance to get off to a good start. They have a chance to finish strong if they can stay healthy. It's the middle part of the schedule that will will have a chance to determine whether they're they're a major player in the Big Ten West. But you know, I, I think the tone setter for their season is that first game. And if they lose, it doesn't mean they're out of anything. It just they, they could they could go from having a good season to a special season, depending on how that first game goes. Yeah, that's uh, Penn State on September first. How do you? Uh, that's a Thursday, by the way. How do you uh, size that one up? Well, Purdue's going to have to win the line of scrimmage battle on both sides of the ball. Um, the last time uh, Purdue played Penn State, uh, Penn State sacked Purdue quarterbacks ten times. And that was three years ago. Uh, they've always had a good offensive line. They've always had a good defensive line. And Purdue, over over history, has not matched up with them at the line of scrimmage. They're going to need to, to win those battles. Their offensive line has more experience. Uh, they've added some transfers, uh, plus guys have played a whole lot more. Uh, so I think they're more equipped 
to, to handle that. And then, as I mentioned, defensively, they don't have the standout, but I think they have the depth to, to make some plays back there. But I think it all starts there uh, for them in that game. If they can win those battles, you know, that's going to give the offense time to, to get the ball in the end zone. Uh, Mike, how is Purdue doing it with the NIL so far? Name, image, likeness. Are, 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 have they got anything set up to to handle that? Yeah, they have a collective, the Boilermaker Alliance, which has done some things here uh, the last the last couple months. Uh, a lot of players, or a lot of athletes, have gone out on their own and struck their own deals. Um, you know, I think I think in the first year they. Their, their athletes generated maybe $180,000 in NIL money. Uh, obviously, they, they expect that to increase because of the collective they have, but also there's more aware, awareness. There was a short runway mm-hmm. uh, last year in the, foot, in the football season, and I think there's obviously a longer runway. But Purdue's not going to get in the game, game of um, buying players you know, beforehand. They're not, they're not doing that. Um, so any any. NIL opportunities will come once an athlete is on campus. They're not they're not dangling uh, anything out there to, to entice someone uh, to come. They'll show what what has happened in the past, and that may not match up with what some other schools are doing. But you know, Purdue's just not going to get in that game, and I think a lot of Big Ten schools are not going to get in that game either. Yeah, I, I heard some Iowa people were complaining about Tracy and Jones going over there. They think you robbed them of their best receivers. <laughs> well, well, they they watched Jeff Brown's offense, what they did to Iowa the last couple of years. Yep. Maybe, maybe they wanted to be part of that instead of being on the other end of that. Well, I think he's a heck of an attraction right now. I mean, among the coaches, who, if you're an offensive player, who would you rather play for in the Big Ten? Most of the coaches, I haven't checked it out, most of them are defensive coaches. Right. The head no, coaches. Purdue's attractive destination because of the quarterbacks, because of the receivers, and then you have a chance to, to showcase your skills so you can potentially go to the next level, and that's what that's what Jeff Brom has done in his five years, and that's what Joe Tiller did, as you know, Lauren, back in his tenure here, and other, other coaches have done the same thing at Purdue. Now, does Brom have a quarterback coach, or does, uh, does he have an offensive coordinator? I mean, doesn't he call the plays himself? Uh, his brother Brian Brom is the quarterbacks coach. Okay. Uh, Jeff calls. Jeff Jeff calls the plays, and mm-hmm. but Brian's up in the box talking to him uh, in the headset. Well, I'll tell you one thing: he comes up with more <laughs> clever plays than any other coach in the Big Ten. There's just no doubt about that. I, I I can still remember. I remember particularly the Michigan State game where he just dazzled them. But, right. They had the uh, the double reverse uh-huh. pass to Jackson who had the offensive line out there and then they, they scored he ran across you know went went from one sideline to the other and then got in the end zone so yeah he's he's very creative in in, in what he does and he'll have I, I would I, I I bet money that you'll see something weird in that first game against Penn State mm-hmm um, are you comfortable putting them in the seven to eight win range? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think they can, obviously they can get there, uh, but they, they have a, you know, Purdue, Purdue is always going to have a small margin for error, regardless of who's on their roster or anything like that. That's just the history of the program. So they can't take any game for granted. 
You know, if they win the Penn State game, you can't lose at Syracuse. And, you know, if you win the Penn State game and you win the Syracuse game, yeah, you're going to be in that seven to eight, you know, win range. But if you lose Penn State and somehow stub your toe at, at Syracuse, then you're going to have to scramble to get Bo eligible at that point. Uh, so, I mean, they've got to stay healthy like everybody else, and they've got to maximize their opportunities, got to win the games that they should. Uh, but, yeah, I, I could see them winning seven or eight. Um, as strange as it sounds, there's a there's a pathway to ten for them if, if everything fell together perfectly, which Purdue's only won ten games in its history one time. Uh, it seems far out there. It seems outlandish, but there is a pathway to ten wins for them. Mike Carmen Lafayette Journal Courier on Twitter at Carmen underscore JC, the Purdue beat writer. Congratulations too, Mike, on this huge uh, media deal that you just landed today, worth uh, over a billion dollars. Oh wait, I'm sorry, I'm being told that's for television. Uh, forget that. I <laughs> uh, would love to get a piece of that. I think that's wonderful. Um, I think I, I, it, it is great for the Big Ten because you go from noon to midnight basically on a Saturday, and you've got Big Ten wall to wall. And they're clearly going to dominate streaming and television and every other medium. And you know, in a, in a couple of years, Mike, you, you can just count on it. When USC and UCLA get in the league, they're going to have a game after the 7 o'clock game. <laughs> <laughs> Four well, windows. I, yeah, well, I've, I've actually heard that they're, they're trying to limit those late-night windows for USC and UCLA, not not for them necessarily, but for the teams that are traveling there. Mm-hmm. Like you're not, they don't want they don't want their teams playing at ten thirty at night. Yeah, you can't blame them. USC is playing UCLA now. The other part of this is more expansion, which I think will happen. That if you can group some more West Coast teams, schools together, then you can play in that that ten thirty window. So I I, I I think it's a matter of time before they add Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and then. Notre Dame along with that to get to 20 and then somehow they'll probably get to 24. Oh man. AFC. Then you have the AFC and the NFC. The AFC is the big 10, the NFC is the SEC. And then everybody has their own little playoff. And then the two winners beat for the college football playoff Super Bowl. Makes too much sense to see it happen. <laughs> but and it, and it makes a lot of money too. There you go. Thanks a lot, Mike. We'll see you soon enough. Enjoy the season. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Lauren, hope you're doing well. Always great to talk to you and look forward to seeing you. I'll be after you again on a Saturday morning real soon. (laughs) (laughs) Always welcome your call. We appreciate it. You know, we have so many people in, uh, as we discuss media deals and all that, we have so many people that are just kind to give us time. And, (laughs) and And they do it just out of goodness or heart. We really appreciate it. Tyra Perry, we're due to talk to her, Illinois softball coach, joins us next. We are back here on Sports Talk on this Thursday. I'm Scott Beatty with Lauren Tate, and we turn our attention now to the world of softball and a bit uh, zoomed out as well in the world of women's sports in college as head coach Tyra Perry from Illinois Softball joins us now on the line. Coach, we don't talk too much in the offseason, so this is a nice treat. I love it. I love it. Thank you guys for uh, giving me a call. Yeah, well, we appreciate it. I, 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 well, <laughs> there's probably a million things we could ask you about with all that's going on in college athletics. So I, I, I want to start with um, 
something I want to make sure doesn't get on the radar here because you've been involved with as we are celebrating 50 years of Title IX and over the summer involved in the Big Ten's leadership, leadership summit around all of this. So what was your experience with that and uh, what did you see come out of it? Uh, I just think um, it was a great experience. A lot, a lot of um, relevant information came, you know, forth for us. And, you know, it's always nice to have an opportunity to just promote women and promote our sport. For sure. I, I mean, and part of this year has been and what will uh, commence here on campus here in, in next month is is a celebration of where where we've been and, and where we're going as well. Um, I mean, what's what's top of mind for you and say, OK, what's what's next? Because there are more eyeballs. Uh, there mm-hmm. is more attention uh, on women's sports than ever. But I know, you know, I don't know what the finish line is, but I know we're not there yet. Well, I just, I know for, from my perspective, you know, having been, you know, a mid-major player and then going to a major school like LSU and then being a mid-major coach and then coming to a major school like Illinois, uh, it's definitely the changing landscape. Things are changing so fast, by the way, but the uh, changing landscape has been super interesting to me uh, with my colleagues just about, you know, what this means and how, you know, what what this means more specifically for women and for softball and uh, it's just been a, a, a mixed bag and from my perspective I've thought a lot about you know brand and you know uh, there's a lot of negative surrounding you know certain things but there's also a lot of positives you know that are coming just from you know having more exposure as a sport having more exposure you know as a as a female athlete a female a coach of a you know a female sport and um, you know those things are unprecedented and I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, do you, I mean, is there, I guess, more exposure can mean what? More criticism, more uh, of, of that kind of thing, but the the good outweighs the bad? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think um, it depends on how you, you know, how you look at it, how you dice it. So what I've seen, what I'm seeing now is my student athletes are able to, you know, take it advantage of their name image and likeness you know people are more aware of who's actually on your team you know i used to get a oh yeah you know your softball team did well and now you know they're saying oh you know lauren wiles did well the team did well but they also know specific players they know sydney sickles is back you know for her fifth year you know so that sort of you know actual name recognition i think is huge and you can't say enough about you know our sport being played on television now um, I think that has brought in a lot of fans yeah, for it, us. I mean, and it's, and I, yeah, I think every year we see numbers that mean it, new heights in terms of viewership and consumption of the sport, and and that's a good thing. But you know, with more exposure, does come more. Um, you know, like you said, it could be more about the individual and sometimes instead of team, and not the two that you mentioned specifically, but and also social media is a thing where players get criticism maybe unfairly. Yes, you know, and I hope people would refrain, you know, from that sort of thing. Like these young women give their heart and soul, you know, to their team, to their university, to their craft. And, um, you know, if there's any mistake that's made, you know, it's definitely not intentional. But, you know, there's any if there's any victory that happens, you know, we want to definitely celebrate it uh, as much as possible because they really do care a lot about their teammates. But they also care a lot about their community. Tyra Perry's with us here on Sports Talk. Go ahead, Lauren. Yeah, you know, the, the one thing that strikes me is, is, is the stunning amount of improvement 
not only with the pitchers, but by the hitter, just every everybody, the fielder, the so many good arms out there. I mean, I think over over. Can you can you think back twenty thirty years and and see how this uh, how this game how the players have improved over that time? Oh yeah, so uh, you know for sure. So the the twenty, uh, not quite the thirty, but the twenty years ago, that was me. You know, I was mm-hmm. playing. You know, twenty plus years ago, and. Uh, the access just to bat technology, to uh, video technology, you know, we have uh, access to where, you know, if a player wants to see all of our at-bats against left-handed pitchers, they could go into a system and watch, you know, the video of that. We didn't have those sorts of things, you know. I I believe they existed, but they weren't available to most female sports, and especially not for softball. You know, so having those sorts of things have definitely uh, helped improve our uh, ability to train our athletes and you're seeing just a a bigger faster stronger more aggressive more aware product on the field yeah i don't think women and maybe in uh, back before you uh, probably were involved in weight training or that sort of thing i don't think they were i'm sure they are now but i i i you know i i'm real involved with softball all the way back because my wife played softball when she was young and my had two daughters that have played softball so right you know i mean it, it i i followed it and i i've i've seen enough of it to know that boy this level of play right now is 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 by the way you mentioned sickles how many pitches you have do you have back and how many starters do you have back this year well, you know, we we have a, a strong crew uh, heading back to us. Uh, Sydney Sickles, of course, is the queen bee. Uh, she's heading into her fifth year with us uh, because of, you know, the COVID year. Uh, she's able to, to return. Uh, we also have uh, Lauren Wiles, who was an outstanding freshman for us last season. So uh, we have Sydney with the up ball and Lauren with, that, with the hard down stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have our lefty with Tori. McQueen, uh, she had a breakout season last year, and we're super excited to see what she brings to the table this season. Um, Morgan Sibley is with us. She sees limited time, but she's definitely a, a backbone uh, to our program. Uh, she's our SAC president, Student Athlete Advisory Council president, so uh, we're super proud of, of Morgan uh, on and off the field. Um, we have a returner who was uh, actually out last year due to injury, uh, Addie Jarvis. So she's um, healthy and making her way back to the circle. And she, uh, you know, is a strong, um, hard thrower, great, you know, changeup that transferred into us, uh, but had to sit out last season. So we're happy to have her back. And we have a newcomer, uh, Juliana Hooker. She is from Florida and um, down ball, tall kid, long limbs, long levers. And uh, she actually, we heard about her from one of my former players at Western Kentucky, Ryan Rogie, you know, put her on our radar, and we liked what we saw, and she's here with us this year. Who's going to catch all those gals? I mean, you gotta you got to start over there, don't you? Oh, yeah. You know, we, uh, we have a young catching core because uh, Bella Loya is no longer with us. She's graduated and came and, you know, had her fifth year, but – but uh, she graduated out, and um, so Paige Berkmeyer, she's a sophomore this season and saw uh, a lot of time, you know, behind the dish um, last season. And Zoe Carroll, she's a sophomore as well. She uh, had a good amount of time, you know, catching too, so she will um, come in and help us. And we have a transfer, Yazzie Avila from New Mexico State, that is a utility player that could catch, and uh, a uh, walk-on 
um, who has a who started catching for us last season. She was originally an outfielder, but um, you know she could also see some time. Uh, Abby Reinick. Tyra, uh, today's news obviously is huge for the conference with the the media rights deal and uh, everything is football driven, and it it seems like a matter of time when players somehow get paid. I, I don't know the mechanics. I suppose a lot of people don't know and who and how. But I wonder uh, how you see that impacting softball and, and women's sports, particularly if you could make an argument that you know football draws the, the checks and the eyeballs, so therefore football players should get paid. But what about everybody else, and what does that mean for the programs that need their funding? Um, okay, so if if athletes are paid, I think they should truly, you know, follow the uh, employee model, you know, that we have, you know, as working adults. Um, you know, you're going to have to, like, all the free health care that you get and, you know, certain things of that nature. You know, maybe it's not quite free anymore, you know. Um, if we're going to have employees, then they should, you know, truly become employees. Otherwise, I think uh, maybe continue to stick with the model that we have, maybe, you know, make some, uh, you know, continue to make athlete, student-athlete friendly uh, legislation, you know, to support them. But uh, the, the whole employee model is a little bit, you know, much for me to wrap my brain around. Um, maybe it's a good thing, but, you know, as of right now, it seems a little bit out of sorts. What about travel all the way to, to the West Coast? Travel to the West Coast, I think, is exciting, you know, from one aspect, because we recently, uh, last uh, season, had the our first opportunity to really go to the East Coast in that we played Rutgers at Rutgers. Uh, that was my first time doing that since I've been here uh, as the head coach. And uh, we were able to stop through New York and go to the Yankees game. You know, so we made a, a great trip of it. And generally speaking, traditionally pre-COVID, we always took a trip to the West Coast uh, in our non-conference schedule. So, you know, maybe we refrain from, you know, that and replace it with, you know, taking that trip during the, the season. Uh, I would think the, the more major uh, issue that's at the forefront of our minds as coaches is that we're bringing UCLA <laughs> into the fold and um you know they are traditionally a powerhouse in softball um uh, so it'll be a great thing to have you know a team of that caliber in the fold but it's you know also yet another team to uh compete with for the big 10 title well yeah they're they're perennial oklahoma city attendees for for the world series so yeah i I could almost see a double-edged sword like yes we get some of the best competition and oh we get some of the best competition uh right big 10 is you know not that far behind the pac-12 but i'm it does really up the overall competitive level of the league doesn't it i think so and uh i think it'll be more of an adjustment for them you know coming into the colder regions where they are you know, very accustomed to playing warm weather softball. You know, cold weather softball is, a, is an adjustment. So, and uh, just with the travel, you know, coming, you know, with the time zones and different things of that, you know, nature, I think it'll be a big adjustment for them, maybe more so than us. 
Well, Coach, it's good to just check in with you because I know there was a lot of things that uh, you were a part of this summer that uh, didn't want to let slip by here. And uh, you're going to get into the new facility here soon, the training facility? I can't wait. So I'm, I'm you know, like a kid in the candy store as far as our training facility. Um, I think we are maybe, you know, a few weeks out. Uh, right now, most of the, you know, the major structure is complete. And we are looking to have our netting system, you know, operational. And then we'll, I think they'll give us the keys uh, at that point. But um, game changer for sure, especially like, again, with, you know, playing cold weather softball and being uh, in a region, you know, such as this with an outdoor sport. It's amazing to have a facility of that caliber. And it was, you know, definitely done right. Well, can't wait for you guys to get in, and although you probably don't need it today, but in a few months for sure, you'll be glad you have it. So, Coach Tyra Perry, great to check in with you, and uh, enjoy the Title IX events coming up, too, in in a few weeks here on campus. Thank you guys so much, and uh, don't forget about our fall schedule. We do play eight games in the fall uh, starting September 24th and 25th, oh. and then we'll continue uh, September 31st, October 1st. And then we'll have our alumni game on October 9th. And we really would like to have the stands full, especially in regards to our three returners for the fifth year, uh, Sydney Sickles, Avery Steiner, and KP Powell. You know, they, they're coming back the fifth year, and we want to support them as much as we can, even in the fall. Thanks a lot, Tyra. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you, you so much. All right. Tyra Perry. Who uh, first season was 2016 and coming into number eight now in 2023, and she's right. I mean, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Boy, they got a lot of pitchers coming back. Yep, this could be a pretty good team. I think so. It's going to be top heavy in terms of experience. I mean, it's going to be yeah. a veteran squad. And yep. that's a good thing. We'll take a timeout. Transition coming up to hour number two. Mr. Tate, go ahead and take tomorrow off. Another day, another dollar. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're back Saturday morning with Steve. I'm looking and, forward to uh, it. Did I hear it? Jay Lehman will be in the house. Yep. Well, I don't know if he'll be in the house, but we're going to talk to him. Yes. Okay. Very good. Close enough. Evans in next hour. Scott Ritchie in this house as well. News Talk 1400, 93.9 FM, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Time for a news break at 5 o'clock. <laughs>